Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our ongoing series on After I've Been Baptized, What's Next? Along with me is our co-host, Jeff. And Jeff, are you ready for part two today in this uh, Working Towards Spiritual Maturity? Certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, we uh, covered a whole lot of ground in, in part one. I know there's a lot of ground still ahead of us in part two. Yeah, it kind of shows you how important and comprehensive the subject is. We often say we're kind of scratching the surface with some of these subjects. And when it comes to becoming more spiritually mature, the Bible does, in fact, have a lot to say. And so last time, Jeff kind of went into detail about what it means to enter into a covenant with God. We then moved on and talked about how important it is to understand that we have changed, no longer citizens of the world, if you will. We are now citizens of God's kingdom in Christ and talked about what that means. And then we shifted gears and talked about, you know, having a desire to grow and how critically important it is as a new Christian to have that desire to grow and understand what God would have us to do. And then we finished up by talking about developing righteous habits and what that looks like how we kind of sever ourselves, if you will, from those worldly habits and now put on the spiritual habits that God would have us to do. So today, Jeff, we're going to start out by talking about overcoming your surroundings. So what does that mean and why is that important for us? Well, and I appreciate you mentioning uh, you know, worldly habits because I hate to admit it, but we pretty much live in a worldly or sinful kind of society, you know, regardless of the country you're in, that there are all kinds of influences. And I guess I'm thinking in terms of you know, bad influences, sometimes even from like our parents, our friends, movies, television, books, everything you know, we see and hear you know, that might lead to sinful thoughts or actions, and that we really need to be mature enough to recognize this and not allow these things to influence us and uh, change us uh, or drag us back, if you will, into the world. In fact, you know, Jesus kind of warned of this in the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, verse 19, where he talks about the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, entering in and choke the word, the word of God, and it becomes unfruitful. Likewise, the Holy Spirit through Paul, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He goes on in the very same chapter, chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We see over in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where we mentioned this back in part one, that the grace of God has appeared, but that this grace teaches us deny ungodliness and worldly lusts that we need to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. We're also encouraged, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, especially verse 3, where it talks about our love and our obedience and our faith that can help us to overcome the world and the worldly influences. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And I think this is an important part, Brian, that we need to mention, that first of all, we need to be careful not to be influenced by worldly 
secular, you know, ideas, people, influences, etc. And also knowing that in turn, you know, we're going to be looked at as Christians. We're going to be scrutinized by others, and we need to be a good example and an influence on them. And you know, as a side comment, you know, this means you know we as Christians, you know, we better avoid being what I would call a hypocrite. Meaning, yeah, I'll call Jesus my Savior, or I might even call Jesus my Lord, and yet I don't do what He says to do. And you know, people will look at that and go, "Hey, you claim to be a Christian, and look at kind of the you know, words and profanity you're using, or look at your kind of scanty, you know, clad clothing, or yeah, you say you're a Christian, but you sure don't act like one." They're pretty smart. They may not follow it, but they'll look at you, and you're trying to follow it, and they'll go. Or at least you claim to be following. Oh, you claim to be a Christian, quote unquote. And they'll, they'll spy that pretty quickly. And of course, you know, saying and not doing, you know, Jesus condemns that, uh, Luke 6, verse 46. So we see some other passages that kind of relate to this talk about overcoming the world or not being influenced by the world. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the Holy Spirit through Peter writes, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust with war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Likewise, 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. In a very graphical, figurative way, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in some ways, this is like a two-way street. We don't want to be influenced by the world, and in turn, we want to try to influence the world. You know, don't want to be influenced by the world to be evil. We want to try and influence the world to be good. Brian, any other thoughts in this section? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when we talk about overcoming our surroundings, I find, Jeff, this is one of the more difficult or could be difficult for new Christians because, first off, if you're coming out of a religious environment where you're told that as long as you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you can keep living as you've always lived because His blood covers your sins. What we're saying and what the Bible, of course, is saying is that, well, no, that's not true because the conduct and the life of a Christian is vastly different from that of the world. And so as a result, it can cause tension between friends. If your friends are used to you going out and drinking or doing sinful things and you're saying, well, I no longer want to do that. Well, that's going to cause tension, right? Because they may not want to hang around, so to speak, with you any longer. So now you have to show the courage. Now you have to be sure that you don't you know, shirk back, if you will, because you're seeing consequences of being a Christian and how it requires potentially for us to be at odds with friends. So anyhow, just something to keep in mind because it's not always an easy path, is it, uh, once we begin the journey with Christ? Right. Well, and certainly there's things like peer pressure that when we were in school and just because we're growing up doesn't mean, you know, that peer pressure, you know, goes away. In fact, sometimes it can be very, you know, severe as you're alluding to in terms of creating division within the family. It may be, may create division on the job. You know, if the employer wants us to do something that's sinful, it could certainly create tension in a, you know, government and a citizen of the government, you know, situation of the government, you know, demands we do things that are sinful, et cetera. And that regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, that we still need to obey God and do what he would have us to do and be that source of light, be that source of influence to a pretty much a dark world. 
That's right. And it's so critical for us to understand that it's possible for us to fall away from the Lord. And as we were just alluding to, you know, this might happen early on if you don't immediately start to strengthen yourself and understand that those worldly habits, until you overcome them, they're going to be tugging on you, so to speak, because the devil knows what your weaknesses are. And So if you fail to start to grow, if you fail to put off that former conduct, well, we must also realize the Bible warns us that we can fall away from the Lord. So in other words, even though we've been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, it's still very possible to fall away and be lost. And once again, some denominations would have you to believe once saved, always saved, or God's going to allow you to persevere beyond your own desires so that you cannot be lost. The scriptures don't teach that. In fact, it kind of starts in Isaiah chapter 59, where at a real basic level, we're taught that sin separates us from God, period, even after we've been baptized. And so here in verse one of Isaiah 59, it says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So not only does this sin separate us from God, but this is making it very clear that God doesn't even want to hear from us. If we're a sinner and we're attempting to pray to God and ask him for things, God's not listening because that sin has separated us once again from him. And, you know, there's many reasons this can occur. I mean, we certainly lose faith. Hebrews 3.12 talks about taking heed, lest there be in any of you, it says, an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So when we lose faith, much like the Israelites lost faith in God, even after he delivered them from Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, showed miraculously that he was in control, Yet they still allowed themselves to start complaining and murmuring. And eventually they lost faith and certainly lost belief that God would deliver those in the land of Canaan into their hands. And so as a result of that unbelief, none of those, except for Joshua and Caleb, were allowed to enter that promised land. And so we can lose faith like the Israelites. We can also fail to grow. So over time, if we do not grow, or as we talked about earlier, if we don't start that growing process, then we're going to become weak. And much like physically, we can all relate to the fact that if we're physically sedate, eventually our muscles atrophy. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. If we allow our enthusiasm to die, we can slowly fall away if we fail to grow. Knowing this, we should do everything we can to prevent it. Hebrews chapter 13, we were just looking at Hebrews 3.12, where it talked about, you know, beware, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. He then goes on to say in verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So this is one of the benefits of being a member of a local church. So when you're baptized, You become a Christian, you join a local church so that you can work as a collective body in spreading the truth that we all can exhort and encourage one another to grow, to remain strong, to work for the Lord. And so we see God's wisdom in the structure of the church. So just a few thoughts here about being conscious of the fact that we can, in fact, fall away. Jeff, any thoughts from you on this? Maybe one or two. I mean, if we know we can fall away. Or maybe I should say, since we know we can fall away, that should give us, you know, some perhaps additional incentive or of being somewhat careful or, or somewhat being on our guard. 
Like if I'm an elderly person, for instance, and I know unless I'm careful when I fall, there's a good chance I might harm myself, break a hip, whatever. I'll take some extra care, right? In terms of, you know, where I walk or my footwear, et cetera. You know, same within the spiritual realm. I mean, if you know there are dangers out there, if you know, as one passage says, the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom you may devour. You know, if I know I'm vulnerable, I'm going to take some extra precaution in terms of where I go or maybe my friends and associates, et cetera. So just something else that would help us to be careful. Brian, as we kind of move into the next section, where it's almost like our manner of life that we need to walk, if you will. And there's a passage in the Bible that talks about walking circumspectly, or walking carefully, or walking diligently. And it starts over in Ephesians chapter 5. Basically, it's the first 17 verses. I don't want to take the time to read all of it, but let me kind of highlight some portions of it beginning with verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But in contrast, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Fast forward to verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Fast forward to verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, we see in this passage that we need to be not as fools, but as wise. Christians really need to be conscious of their lives, their daily living, what they do, what they say, where they go, their jobs, their friends, etc. And to walk wisely. You know, they need to be attuned to the various sins and quote-unquote pitfalls that are lurking out there in the world. Fools don't do that. We need to be attuned to those kinds of things. Redeeming the time in that passage, redeeming you know, literally means to buy up or to rescue from loss. We need to use our time wisely. Again, as Christians, we only have so much of it, you know, so we need to use it wisely to do what is good. Well, within this passage, why? Because the days are evil. I mean, there's so many evil things, for instance, that are out there that can waste our time, use up our time, be a distraction, etc. Sometimes we say you know, there's, there's just not enough time in the day. Uh, I think we said at the end of part one, I just can't seem to find the time to read my Bible. Okay. Can you find the time to check your Facebook status? Can you find the time to go out into social media? Can you find the time to do the things you want to do? Okay, well, then we're really not talking a matter of time. It's really a matter of priorities. And likewise, the passage says, you know, therefore, you know, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As we've been saying in this podcast and back in part one, and in most of our podcasts, one of the biggest keys to being spiritually mature 
is understanding what the will of God is and getting into the Word and studying it and using study aids and faithful attendance at a local faithful congregation that's preaching truth, etc., and all of those kinds of things to quote-unquote walk circumspectly, you know, redeeming the time, spending time wisely, you know, in, in spiritual things, not frittering it away, etc. Brian, thoughts on Ephesians 5? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The police often give advice to, let's say it's a woman who walks by themselves at night. They say, just be aware of your surroundings. Know what's going on around you. So circumspectly in that respect, carefully, diligently. And as with many physical things in life, there's often a spiritual analogy, if you will. And that's certainly what we see here, isn't it? That as we go through this life, we have to be so conscious of what's going on around us with our friends, what's trendy in the world, people these days and the way they dress. Are we aware of that? Are we saying I need to be careful because it would not be appropriate for me to dress that way? Or maybe, you know, there are certain phrases or movements or causes or whatever it might be. I mean, all of that's wrapped up in this, isn't it? Just being aware of what's happening in the world and adjust accordingly, I guess. Most definitely. Yeah. As you said, and I like the analogy you made to a woman, downtown, urban setting, kind of rundown neighborhood, whatever. First of all, if you could avoid it, you probably shouldn't be there. But if you are there, you're going to be on heightened alert, right? And be extra careful. And likewise with Christians in the world in which we live today, we need to be extra careful because if we don't watch it, as you said, we can just easily just slip into and adopting whatever trendy things are going on. As you said, whether it's dress or whether it's light profanity, if you will, that this it's all around us, you know, whatever it might be that we need to be you know, extra careful not to just sort of slide into it or, or go with the flow. So to speak. That's exactly it. So the next question we want to consider is what are signs of maturity? And fortunately, the Bible has a lot to say about this. In fact, when we think about kind of looking into the mirror of God's word and seeing, does our life reflect what God would have us to do? But more importantly, you know, what are some ways that I can tell as a new maturing Christian that I am becoming more mature? Well, let's just talk about a few of them. One kind of starts out in Jude verse 3, where it says that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. So if someone's trying to teach you something contrary to God's word, well, based on your study and your knowledge and your application of God's word, you'll be able to recognize that error and fight for the truth, stand for the truth, recognizing that it's a threat to the truth. Uh, Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 to fight the good fight of faith to lay hold on eternal life. So if we know the truth, we can fight that fight. We can defend any attacks against the truth. Another sign of maturity that the Bible teaches us is we become someone who is apt to teach. And so when you think about what Paul encouraged Timothy to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul encouraged Timothy to take those things that he had been taught and to commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So one of the things that we discover as we become more mature is that our goal is not only to spread the gospel, but to help develop other Christians to become stronger so they themselves can go out and teach others. And you think about how critical this is to the spreading of God's word. You sort of perpetuate the truth through many generations when you teach others. 
We see the early church spread because Christians were busy teaching others. We see in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So here was a situation where Christians were being persecuted. And as a result of the persecution, they had to literally flee Jerusalem and leave and go to other parts of the world to get away from that threat. But God used that as something positive in that it enabled them to preach the word everywhere and to spread the gospel. Now, immature Christians might have given up when they are persecuted, but mature Christians use it as an opportunity to teach the gospel. In other words, they turn something bad into something good. You know, I was talking about being able to sort of perpetuate the truth throughout future generations. I just want to make the point that it's so critical to understand that if you are a Christian and your spouse, if you're married, is a Christian and you teach your children and they become Christians and your children teach their children, right, your grandchildren, well, you can literally create a situation where through your family tree, if you will, you can cause or help there to be generations of Christians in the future. And hopefully everybody understands the opposite is true as well. If you're an ungodly person, live kind of what we might call a wild life, you're a drinker, you're ungodly, well, there's a good chance that your future generations are going to be ungodly. So from that perspective, think not just of yourself, but how you can either do good or bad in generations to come, and you could actually be responsible, or at least partially responsible, for that happening. The next thing we want to consider here is someone who is able to understand the more difficult aspects of God's law is someone who would be demonstrating spiritual maturity. So in other words, they can eat what we might call solid food or strong meat, some translations like the King James have. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 5. And if I could, Jeff, get you to read verses 12 through 14, where we see kind of a contrast of immature and mature. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, Jeff, if somebody said this to you, Jeff, you know, by this time you should be a teacher, you're just not able to. How, how would you take that? Well, my initial emotional reaction might be to get upset, but, you know, I, I better listen. And, and likewise, like even in the physical realm, if, if you've got an adult that all of a sudden starts, you know, not being able to digest, you know, normal food and they, for some reason, have to go back to you know, like a chicken broth because they're uh, upset, you know, they're regressing, you know, something's not right, right? Something needs to be, uh, you know, looked into even on the medical side, as an example. Absolutely. We might say it's a wake-up call, right? Yes. Sometimes we use this, you know, you, your toes stepped on, right? If it, Whether it's a sermon or someone says this to you, but I appreciate you saying that initially you might be upset, but if you really look at what's being said, it's, hey, you've been a Christian for a while, and you're still sort of stuck in learning and understanding the basics. You have to be able to get beyond that. So those who are mature, it says, are those in verse 14 of full age. Uh, this Greek word sometimes is also translated perfect, or we might just say mature. So you could say solid food belongs to those who are strong, 
mature from a spiritual perspective. They have shown growth. They have demonstrated moral character and they are more well-rounded. Sometimes we use that term, right? Because now all of a sudden you understand the more complex principles in God's word. And because you've applied it, it says those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So that's one of the beauties of the gospel is not only does it teach us these fundamental principles, but as we put them in place in our life and we actually exercise them, if you will, we put them to use, we learn from them. It allows us to now connect the dots, to become stronger and more able to now comprehend and teach others some of these more advanced principles. And so, you know, one example, Matthew 5, 43 through 48, when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, somebody that's immature, if their enemy strikes them on the cheek, they're going to strike them right back. But a mature Christian will follow Jesus's advice. And we'll look at just verse 44 in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So sometimes being spiritually mature isn't so much about learning these more complex principles in God's word, but sometimes it's really about applying even some of the more simple principles. Like if, you know, loving your enemies is a pretty simple command, isn't it? But understanding yourself enough to know how can I get beyond this desire to retaliate and now instead show love and actually take it a step further and pray for them. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21, for those of you that might be familiar with the story of the rich young ruler, where he asked Jesus, what does someone need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that this man had a lot. And not only that, but that he trusted in these riches. So Jesus said to him in verse 21 of Matthew 19, if you want to be perfect, once again, here's that same word that means spiritually mature. If you want to be spiritually mature, he's in essence saying, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, Jesus knew this would be difficult for him to do because he had many possessions. In fact, if you read on there, it talked about how this rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Well, Jesus knew what his weakness was. It was those possessions. So if we look at our own lives, we might say, what is it that I really love so much that it would be difficult to give up for Jesus? And so in this particular case, once again, he's not instructing all of us that we have to go sell all of our possessions. No, he just knew where this man's focus was, where this man's difficulties were. And that's why he told him, show this maturity by selling what you have and giving to the poor. So one of the area where we can show that we're spiritually mature is by showing true love for our brother. So John chapter 15 and verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So someone who's mature will strive to resolve differences. I mean, one thing that all of us deal with every, hopefully not every day, but certainly throughout our life is there's going to be strife from time to time. Okay, somebody who is a peacemaker is going to try and resolve that. Someone who has pride is going to perpetuate it or fight back or whatever. Jeff, can you read for us Ephesians chapter 4? I want to take a look at two sections here. One is verses 1 through 3, and then one is verses 31 through 32, where we kind of see a contrast between spiritual qualities we should have and those we should not. Oh, first passage beginning with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, 
beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now we fast forward to verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So this walking worthy in verse 1, what does it mean to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called? Well, he tells us in verse 2 that we are lowly, we're gentle, we're long-suffering, we bear with one another. We, in verse 3, endeavor In other words, we put in every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So once again, we're peacemakers. And as we touched on earlier, to be able to do that, well, we also have some things that we have to get rid of in our life. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. It says, put these things away from you. And then it goes in verse 32 again to say, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ forgave us. And so... Once again, we see this difference in spiritual qualities versus worldly qualities. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, and of course that would be Christians, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So notice this is the second time here where we've read about forgiving as we have been forgiven. And you might remember even on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasized this. And so this is critical because if we're not able to forgive others, not only are we immature, you know, if they ask for forgiveness, but yet we're so angry with them, we refuse to forgive them. Well, that's showing immaturity. But someone who's mature, if someone repents, they will forgive them. They will not question whether or not they meant to, they were sorry, any of that. We always put the best possible conclusion, if you will, on what somebody's done, and we forgive them, realizing that Christ forgave us, so we should do the same. And then as we read here also, that we are seeking to be united. So it talked here about us endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Ephesians 4.3 that we just read. The mature will always strive to be like-minded and united with their brethren. And we see this in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, where it says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, it says, verse 7, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So once again, God showed us patience. God showed us love by allowing us to be forgiven. We should be like-minded towards our brethren, not only willing to forgive them, but notice in verse 6 that with one mind, right, we're united. One mouth, we're united. We glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we glorify God and Jesus every day when we keep the Lord's commandments. In fact, Jesus said this, right, in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so that's how we show unity is by keeping his commandments, following the same standard, and treating each other the same as God and Christ treated us. Jeff, any thoughts in this area? Well, a lot of different ways that our you know, spiritual maturity can be evidence, you know, signs of spiritual maturity. 
I like what you were saying earlier about some of the more difficult aspects of the Bible. I mean, in a physical realm, you wouldn't take a newborn baby and start feeding them Mexican food, steak, hot sauce. You know, what you, you you wouldn't do they that. They could not handle that, could they? They just could not handle it. And I think part of at least the beginnings of spiritual maturity is knowing what you know, knowing what you don't know, and knowing there are, are some things that are kind of beyond, at least for the time being, your ability to understand and should be kind of deferred until you've got more of the foundation, more of the fundamentals under your belt. For instance, there, there are certain challenges with really understanding at a deeper level aspects of, for example, the Trinity or how you can bring grace and faith and works all together. Alleged Bible contradictions, for instance, that are out there, uh, nuances regarding predestination. And certainly, when you start getting into prophetic literature, like the book of Revelation, I mean, it's kind of funny. One of the uh, first things that I've heard some brand new Christians want to study, the first book they want to study, they want to study the book of Revelation. (laughs) In all those (laughs) mysteries, yes. (laughs) Exactly. And as this brand new baby, they want to sit down to a meal of, you know, steak and potatoes and salad and cheesecake, (laughs) whatever. And it's like, okay, let's hold off a second. Let's, Let's get some of the more basic things, like as we've been kind of saying along, basic morality for instance, and the things that you shouldn't be doing with your body or your life or your attitudes, uh, and then start overlaying that with some things you should start doing in terms of studying and potentially influencing others. And then once you got those under your belt, then, okay, let's step up to the table and we're going to take this nice grisly piece of steak and, and try to cut it apart and, and understand it better. So, Well, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, there's a statement that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Well, a Christian certainly isn't built in a day. And I would even say that if you try to take on things like Revelation early on, that it actually could backfire and that you become frustrated or even maybe convinced that the Bible is just too hard to understand. I'm not capable of understanding it. Well, considering what you're looking at, yeah, that's going to be tough to understand, but there's certainly plenty that's easy. Yeah. Well, like the baby choking on a piece of steak. I mean, you know, that's, you know, common sense, right? So, I mean, you know, since we've been talking about some of the signs of maturity, I think it's it's useful, and I'll, I'll hitchhuck on what you just said a few moments ago, to kind of realize that, you know, it's a journey. It takes time. It takes, you know, kind of steady effort. Like we were talking earlier about, you know, reading the Bible, steady progress, not necessarily, you know, slow and steady, but, you know, the, the story about the tortoise and the hare, et cetera, that commitment ongoing, long-term as a quote-unquote ongoing journey. But it does have benefits, which kind of takes us into our next section. Some of the benefits of striving for spiritual maturity. And I've got a list of, you know, maybe half a dozen here that we can go through relatively quickly. But I mean, first of all, you know, we can understand and withstand the temptations that are thrown in our way. You know, whether we're throwing that those temptations in our way ourselves or whether other people are throwing these temptations in our way or ultimately Satan. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, which he goes on later to describe, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So first of all, one of the benefits of spiritual maturity, we can identify and withstand temptations 
trials, etc. Number two, we're stabilized against false doctrine. I think we've mentioned this earlier, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So, you know, we can recognize and be stabilized against false doctrine. Number three, we can edify and encourage our fellow Christians as we become more mature. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, talks about bearing one another's burdens. So not only encouraging fellow Christians, but also the local congregation, you know, as a whole becomes stronger uh, and remains strong. For example, over in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul talking to the Christians over in Thessalonica, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. Again, local congregations being strengthened by those who are spiritually mature. Number five, reaching out to the lost with the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus talks about going out making disciples or believers or followers of all nations, teaching them to do things. And really last, in many ways, most importantly, one of the benefits of being spiritually mature is that ultimately God is glorified. And you know we can see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So a lot of benefits, benefits to ourselves, benefits to those around about us, to you know, include our, our family, friends, neighbors, etc. benefits to the local congregation, but ultimately all to the glory of God. Any uh, thoughts on this section? Yeah, you know, when you're going through the local church becoming strong, it, it's so important. There are passages where the Bible talks about each member is able to do their part. Well, if you're spiritually mature, then you can provide great assistance to the local congregation to do the work that God has set for that church to do. All right, so we have one more section, Jeff, and then we're going to finish up today by answering some Bible questions that people have submitted in regards to spiritual maturity. So the last section we want to talk about is just prayer and how as a new Christian, as you seek to do what God would have you to do, it's so important to have what we might call a prayer life. Certainly the scriptures teach us that prayer is a vital part of a Christian's life. We know that when Jesus was on this earth, he constantly prayed. We read about him getting up very early to pray. We read about him spending all night in prayer. So Jesus, certainly by his own example, shows us how important prayer is. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17, pray without ceasing. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understand, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So being able to turn to the Lord when we have anxiety shows us how special this relationship is that we have with God, that He allows us through Christ to pour out our hearts to Him and certainly thank Him for all that he's done for us. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 24, therefore I say to you, 
whatever things you ask when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So this goes along with what we were talking about earlier, and that is having a forgiving spirit. Those who sin against us repent, we forgive them. And we have a really good study series on prayer that I'd like to point our listeners to that's really comprehensive, and I highly recommend it. So if you go to our website, biblequestions.org, at the top, there's a lessons button, or if you're using a mobile browser, you click on the little three-line menu, you'll see a section called lessons. From there, go to Christian living, and in that Christian living section, you'll see uh, prayer. And what you'll find is there's a really nice six-lesson study guide that's in PDF format that you can download. And then there's even a series of six sermons that were preached on that guide uh, that kind of elaborates on all that's taught within that guide. So you can certainly listen to those sermons as well right through our website if you'd like. So, Jeff, any thoughts on this before we move on to our questions? You know, the only thing I can add perhaps is, you know, in some ways if you view the Bible as God talking to us, Prayer is the natural follow-on as us talking with God. So, you know, kind of making that that two-way kind of thing. So certainly from a spiritual maturity perspective, prayer, uh, approaching our Heavenly Father, would be uh, absolutely a critical effect to emphasize. So good points. Yeah, uh, so much that we can learn. And that's why that guide is very helpful, especially for those that would like to improve their prayer life. So as we shift gears now and move into questions that some have submitted through our website, biblequestions.org, The first one is for you, Jeff, and it comes from Arma. And the question is, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? So I would assume they have Matthew 6, 33 in mind, where it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In some ways, simply speaking, you know, Jesus is really talking about the relative priority that we should have toward God, toward his word, toward obeying him, toward spiritual matters, et cetera. And that really God and his kingdom you know, really should be our first foremost priority, according to Acts 5.29. And, and again, you know, Matthew 6.33, we should desire to obey God, uh, you know, to seek his kingdom. And basically everything we do in terms of, for instance, making important decisions or sacrifices in our lives, in terms of our time and what we do with it, or our money, our jobs, our entertainment, which we, we've mentioned uh, in this uh, short series. And, you know, if a Christian really wants to put God first, they would be thinking and be careful about, would not want to take a job, for instance, or schedule family activities that would require him to miss worship service, you know, as just one example. And you know, obviously, in some extreme cases, that can't be avoided. But in general, Again, a matter of relative priority. There's things in the Bible about, you know, the importance of taking care of a family and responsibilities of, you know, husband and wife, parents with children, Ephesians chapter 5, importance of taking care of our bodies, which we mentioned earlier, you know, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Bible also talks about, uh, warns not to be overly concerned or anxious about the things and cares of the world. In fact, Matthew 6, the, the context there. You know, worrying about you know what we'll eat and what we'll drink and what we'll wear, etc. And those kinds of you know putting the kingdom first, pressing on towards spiritual maturity, not giving a lot of uh, excessive time or money or whatever uh, for the latest quote you know toys and trinkets, or getting excessively involved in recreation or entertainment or really getting overly active in areas of life that really don't 
amount to much, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it's really more of a, a mindset. Brian, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I agree. When I think about seeking first the kingdom of God, it really is mindset, right? And the commitment to honor the covenant that we were talking about earlier that we entered into with God. And when we become a Christian, it's honoring that covenant and that commitment. And so, for instance, you touched on, you know, assembling, right? So we assemble with our brethren to worship and remember the Lord's death on the first day of the week. There are other services, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Well, we're going to be there because you know, someone who seeks first, they take not only their attendance seriously, it's not a, I have to be there, but it's when do I have the next opportunity to worship my Lord mentality? And they take, uh, you know, their participation in worship seriously. And then, you know, throughout the week, we're focused on doing good works. We're looking for opportunities to help or to teach or to encourage others. And then really, when we think about our life in general, seeking first would mean that we approach any decision we make by applying the spiritual principles that we learn from the Bible and by thinking once again, what would be the best for the Lord? What would he want me to do based on what the word teaches? So anyhow, good thoughts. Appreciate uh, the good question from our listeners. So now it's your turn. So from George, we get the question, what is the difference between the milk of the word and the meat of the word? 1 Corinthians 3 states, you start off with milk and then move to meat. Uh, Hebrews also states the same thing. So what is the difference between milk, the milk of the word and the meat of the word? Yeah, and the good news is I think our listeners probably know the answer to this now, don't they? (laughs) Hopefully, (laughs) if they've been paying attention. (laughs) Yeah, but as we touched on, and it certainly doesn't hurt to reemphasize the fact that it's so important that we grow spiritually. And of course, as we touched on a little bit ago, in this sense, drinking milk from a spiritual perspective is really just, you know, learning the first principles of the truth. And then when we learn those basic subjects, well, things like, you know, need be baptized and things like Bible authority and how we establish what it is that we should be doing spiritually. Well, then we move on to more mature subjects like church autonomy, divine love, those kinds of things. And so eventually we realize, and the Bible certainly makes clear, that we should also become knowledgeable enough about the truth that we are able to share this knowledge with others and teach them the truth. And so you think about eating meat. And as you touched on earlier, Jeff, much like a child or a baby, we have to eventually move off that milk if we want to grow or continue to grow. And as we read earlier in Hebrews chapter five, Paul rebuked the brethren because he said, even though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And so anyhow, we have to take that seriously. God does expect us to grow. He doesn't want us to be stagnant. He doesn't want us just to kind of what we might call go through the motions. And so if you're just starting a spiritual walk, you know, we encourage you to sign up for our Bible basics course. That will help you to kind of start down that path towards spiritual maturity. And then you'll find many resources on our site, other courses that you can take as you slowly build your faith slowly build your knowledge and become stronger and stronger and stronger. Good points, Brian. I don't think I have anything else to add at the moment. Okay. Well, let's move on then to our next question. And this one comes from somebody uh, submitted anonymously, which is perfectly fine. And they ask, who is responsible for your spiritual growth as a Christian? Which I think is really a good question because, you know, as we look into the scriptures, ultimately each of us, each of us is responsible for our own spiritual growth and service to God, whether we're talking about studying God's word or applying in our lives or prayer or worship or whatever, that we're all each 
individually held responsible for doing these things in our lives because the going all the way back, the, the covenant or the contract or the agreement that we have with God is between us and God. It's not between us and our parents and God, and the parents will be held accountable for what we do. It's not between you know God and the local congregation, and so long as we happen to sit in the right building, for instance, we're good to go. No, 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 no. It's, it's an individual contract, so to speak, between God and us as uh, individuals. Now, having said that, scripturally speaking, there are others who have also a responsibility for doing this, to encouraging spiritual maturity in our lives, you know, within the local congregation. For instance, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through uh, 16, talking about giving some as apostles and prophets, you know, those that originally spoke under inspiration or wrote under inspiration, from which we now have the Bible, evangelists, pastors, or another term for elders, teachers, equipping of the saints until we attain the unity of the faith, no longer be children, there we go, tossed here and there by the waves, like a boat, <laughs> a small sailing craft, speaking the truth and love, grow up in all aspects unto Christ, building up itself in love, etc. So within not only the Bible was coming to us by you know Holy Spirit inspired people, but also people within the local congregation, the quote unquote leadership, if you will, perhaps more mature Christians, experienced evangelist, preacher, yeah, the elders of the congregation, etc. So we have those also as resources, you know, within the local congregation to help carry the uh, additional responsibility, you know, to teach and preach, you know, God's word, to build up or edify Christians. But bottom line, though, is, is it still comes back to ourselves. It comes back to us. It's on us. The contract is with us. In fact, Jesus acknowledged that in Luke chapter 6, verse 39, where he was talking to his audience and speaking a parable to them about what some of the Sadducees had been doing. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Again, an individual responsibility. And Brian, that's exactly what we continue to emphasize in just about every single podcast. For our listeners, don't just take our word for it. Don't just take our website's word for it. I mean, use us and the website as a resource, but keep going back to the scriptures, back to the scriptures, back to the scriptures, you know, digging, reading, learning, studying, because ultimately you'll be you know, individually held accountable for what you do. Brian, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I appreciate those thoughts. And, you know, as obvious as the answer might seem, right, it's our responsibility. I appreciate how you went through. Because, you know, I've actually had a, a parent tell me one time I was teaching a Bible class and, and the, their student just wasn't prepared. And so I talked to them about, you know, can you help them be prepared for class? And they said, it's not really my responsibility per se. And they were sort of <laughs> hinting at that really it's the church's responsibility to teach the child, you know, and I thought, whoa. No, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, the Bible makes it clear, you know, parents raise your children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? And and so, you know, no doubt we have to take responsibility ourselves, not just for us, but certainly if we have children as well. Very true. All right. Which brings us to, I think, the last question, and this one's for you from Evelyn. And she asks, where in the Bible does it say a man should lay aside childish things and become a man? In other words, grow up, right? Or something. Exactly. Like <laughs> grow up. I like that. Yeah, so she's uh, most likely referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, when it says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, 
While the general principle of maturity, no doubt can we can learn from this passage, it's really related to verse 10. So as with any passages that we study, we need to understand the context. So to do so, we really need to go back to verse 8 to understand what, what's Paul talking about. Well, in verses 8 through 13 as a whole, Paul is talking about the fully revealed Word of God that was confirmed through spiritual gifts that we read about in verse 8. And then when God revealed the truth through his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, well, spiritual gifts ceased as they were no longer necessary to confirm the words spoken by the apostles and, you know, to prove that the disciples of Christ were from God. And so that really is what's being talked about here, that once that fully revealed word of God came to mankind, well, then we no longer had a need for these spiritual gifts. And so they were put away in that sense. And so you know, with the Bible and specifically the New Testament that we live under today, we now have this complete and fully revealed Word of God so that we can understand how God expects us to live. So, you know, Second Peter 1.3 talks about how God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then we also have James chapter 1 and verse 21. And here James talks about that we are able to receive the implanted Word, which is able to save our souls. And so God has given us all things that we now need. And so when you think about this idea, though, getting back to, you know, kind of what it says as far as maturing as a child, well, if we were just to look at that principle, it still applies as well. So, you know, this principle of maturing spiritually, intellectually, as we get older, well, we do want to put away childish things and we want to start living soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, as we saw earlier in Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. So anyhow, even though that general principle does apply in this specific case, the context is talking about the spiritual gifts and how because of the truth, those are no longer in existence today. We don't have spiritual gifts today. So anyhow, thoughts there, Jeff, as we wrap this up? Yeah, the only thing I, I might add is just as babies, young children, you know, over time are expected to mature into adults. Christians are as well. And there's several dimensions of that, as we've already kind of alluded to, you know, there's learning knowledge kinds of things. There's wisdom to apply what we've learned. There's emotional stability, <laughs> even within the spiritual realm, you know, as we grow up. And so we always need to be, if you will, leaning forward and looking for those areas where we can continue our journey, continue to mature more and more to be pleasing to God, helpful to one another, and also you know helpful to ourselves. You know, Brian, before I vector people over to the website for additional resources, any other thoughts as we uh, wrap up this series? Yeah, as we look back over what we've covered in this two-part series, hopefully our listeners understand that you know, when we ask this basic question, after I become a Christian, what should I do next? It's important to understand, like we talked about, you know, this covenant that we're entering into with God. What does that really mean? That we have this desire to grow that we talked about. So we have the right attitude, the right mindset, if you will, that we understand that we've changed. You know, we put off that former conduct. We understand that we now live for Christ. So we start putting on the spiritual qualities that he taught us through the New Testament, through this new covenant. And then, you know, once we have that mindset, once we start growing, well, we work on developing righteous habits. So now how we treat other people is according to God's word. How we look at life in general is according to God's word. And then as a result, we're able to overcome our surroundings, right? We are now able to, if we need to, sever friendships from ungodly people. 
we start sowing the seed, those kinds of things. And then we are always conscious that we can fall away from the Lord. So we're always on guard for that. We walk circumspectly. We are aware of this. And then the final couple sections, we want to be able to understand these signs that would show that we are truly maturing. So in other words, do we still kind of have a hair trigger temper and and we're always sort of what we might call flying off the handle? Well, that would be a sign of immaturity. But as we go through life, now we mature and we find, you know what, I no longer fly off the handle once again. Instead, I'm able to maturely respond as God would have me respond. And then we see the benefits is the final thing where we can understand now how we can be part of a church that's doing God's will. But more importantly, in our own life, we see the signs of maturity based on how we treat others, how we resist temptation and so on and so forth. So it's been a good series, Jeff, and there's more that can be uh, studied on these subjects, isn't there? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely agree. And in fact, part of this whole package, if you will, is, is putting in some ways, quote unquote, additional tools in your toolbox. And of course, we like to highlight what the website has uh, a role to play in that. If you go again to biblequestions.org, look at the menu, uh, main menu items, there's a, a section called Lessons, which has a lot of meaty material, <laughs> to borrow that phrase, on basics about baptism or, or Bible basics, which you were referring to earlier, which is an interactive course. There's a section there about how to study in more depth, surveys of the Bible, surveys of individual books, major topics under Christian living, topics in terms of the local congregation. Anyway, under the lessons item, a lot of material there. And likewise, for individual topics under the topics menu item, some of the things we've just barely scratched the surface on these two podcasts, roughly two hours worth of, of talking. A, for apostasy or the possibility of falling away, B for Bible study, C for Christian living, G for growth, W for walk, our manner of life, and worldliness, and finally uh, Z for zeal. So literally A to Z, a lot of topics with uh, you know material there that our listeners can actually you know take the time, begin to dig into to help them further on their uh, spiritual journey towards spiritual maturity. So once again, we would you know commend all the resources at our website to our listeners for their benefit. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.